So it's seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Regan again. And Larkham. Kefu. Ty Kefu! Did he get it? That's the match winner! Welcome back and it's another episode of the Running Rugby Podcast, another round of Super Rugby AU, another round of Super Rugby Aotearoa. The Six Nations finally concludes, Major League Rugby starting to heat up and top league is continuing to roll on. But some big news out of Super Rugby AU this weekend, obviously we had the Brumbies taking down the Western Force, bouncing back in Canberra 42 to 14, but the Waratahs. It wasn't as big a loss as their first round, 46 to 14. They go down by 32, but then the next day, the penny drops. Rob Penny officially let go by New South Wales Rugby. Toby, Leo, what do you reckon? Was this was this inevitable? I guess we've we've sort of forecast this a little bit. I, I always resisted, but I think I deep down I was being optimistic. Toby's been right that, that it's such a big market in New South Wales. Waratahs is a huge team, very visible. Uh, the health of the Waratahs is is somewhat a barometer for the health of Super Rugby too. And there, there just wasn't a path forward for for the New South Wales Waratahs with a coach who lost uh, five to start the season, five from five, record losses uh, in multiple occasions. Uh, it's still, to me, it's still really disappointing because I don't see, I don't see where they go from here. Like a lot of the reporting since the since the news has been, oh, we need a talismanic coach, like someone who can really, you know, bring these guys together and you know, yield their potential. But you're basically wishing for something magical to happen. Like that's not a plan to to hope that you get a talismanic person because that's not a quantity you can measure in a person right it's it's still just going to spin the wheel of available coaches and go so i i feel like it is probably still um you know no benefit to waratahs having got rid of penny i guess the issue is you know the the new coach that will come in will have you know they'll want to have some say on the roster moves that are going to be made and so you know if that's being put off until next year for a new coach to be named if they're not actually involved in any sort of recruitment going into next year then we're almost setting ourselves back another 18 months because we're going to have a roster that's not fully formed players aren't going to be attracted to going to the Waratahs and yeah it really does beg the question where do we begin this you know new new wave of of players that are going to come in how are we going to implement that strategy um, you know, they talk about Michael Checker coming back. They talk about Eddie Jones could be an option mm, if he gets saying, fired. Yeah. Um, it's Simon Cron stuff, really. I think Simon Cron is a viable option if he's even interested at this point. I mean, he's he's coaching the the shining. Oh no, not the shining arc. Sorry, Toyota Verblitz. So he's he's actually the head coach of Michael Hooper at the moment, and so they have a good rapport apparently. And so maybe he's the most viable option. It's just how much money can you throw at him to actually entice him back? 
Yeah, and and look at the way they've treated Rob Penny. Like this action feels like, you know, we need to be seen to be doing something. The board and the Waratahs, you know, management group need to be seen to be taking action because they're not seeing enough improvement on the field. Which again, I think is taking a very shallow look. I think there has been this this week particularly the Waratahs did lift their speed a bit. I think the combinations were starting to develop. Yeah, I was yeah. watching this weekend, Leo, and I was coming around to your way of thinking, seeing a lot of promise in what was happening this weekend. Like, there's still I, heaps of guys who aren't, uh, you know, at the same level as a lot of players in Super Rugby AU, and yeah. certainly not in Super Rugby if you count Aotearoa competition as well. But there's there's signs of life. You've got, you know, probably now your first choice centre pairing that we've seen. Absolutely. Hopefully, Fiketti's okay. Like Parise back. Like you've missed him for three weeks and, and you've had no one else really to throw in there who, who was going to run that, that style of play. Um, he's not really a 12 though, is he? I mean, maybe not, but he's, he's ever played. He's good at running those lines though. Yeah. He's sized up against Paisami pretty well, really. Like he's yeah, not, Paisami he's not do Paisami. A lot in that game at all. Yeah. They Personally, definitely I'm had not, each I'm, other's eyes. I'm still not sold on Fichetti, but I think Parise is definitely an option that we can work with long-term. And whether he ends up back on the wing, I mean, that's kind of beside the point at this point. You need you need that kind of stability and experience in the centres and a bit of flair there as well, and I think he offers that. Yeah, but you would say that the centres this weekend looked much better than better. any combination we've seen so far this season. And yeah. that, like, maybe Fichetti wasn't in the original um, selection. Like, we had, um, it was Walton. Joey Walton and, and Parise outside him, but... Certainly, you know, this is a combination they, they may have tried if everyone was available. And they looked better to me this week. Um, I think the commentators were pushing uh, pushing pretty hard on some of the players. Like, the commentary seemed very um, impressed with a lot of the Waratahs forwards. And that, I, I think that may have just been a smokescreen trying to lift the profile of a few guys. But they, they were better. And, yeah, I, I, I think, think it's unfair the- to say there's been no improvement. The two young locks that came on, obviously Sam Kett and Sam White started the game and we saw them both sort of go off reasonably early and you had Jeremy Williams that we got saw got a try um, in the previous Waratahs game and then um, Max Douglas, who's a huge guy, is, is 200 centimetres, sort of, sort of 110 kilos, fast dude as well. And I think they, that suddenly I was like, look, there's, there's a bit of future, there's a bit of prospects, these guys that are developing. Suddenly you see someone in the frame of someone like Darcy Swain or Nick Frost coming in who's young, who's got handling, who's got speed, and you're like, great, where where has this been? Where has this been? Why are we going along with Sam Wikes here when we have these young guys? Because I think we're trying to keep that experience in the mix and they just don't have much of that in the forwards whatsoever. So I guess it's a balance of introducing the new talent at the right time. I don't think Wikes is the answer by any means. I think in terms of recruiting... Like, we need to be going for guys that are more of the Isaac Rodder kind of experience level and talent and then integrating the youth around that rather than Sam Wax, who's really at the end of his, his yeah. career. And he probably isn't, you know, that kind of high-profile player that we need. Yeah. Well, I think it's – you're right, Arch, that like those guys showed promise. Um, but I would just make one last point that there's a time and a place for blooding – those players at that sort of minimal experience and the time 
may be now is just you just do it because you don't have any other choice and everyone's yeah. injured. But yeah. you think back a few years ago before the Waratahs lost everyone, they had maybe a 50-50 mix of experienced um, guys, like experienced settled guys who'd been in the team for a couple of years at least. They had some combinations and they didn't bring those guys through. They kept buying new people who were big names yeah. and, and, and plugging all around. And you ended up with a team of bought, bought individual superstars. You didn't develop anyone. And then it didn't really work because there wasn't any um, like extensive combination. And then those guys all suddenly disappear. Well, now you're at the point where you can't blood 15 guys. You've got minimal experience guys who've been there for a while. And Sam Wikes is the sort of guy I, I can understand if you don't get Isaac Roddy, you get someone who you can plug in, knows the level of play, will will give you a little bit of short-term stability. But honestly, you probably expect to be run down in a few weeks' time by the development players. But at least he's there taking the taking the ferocity of the first 40 minutes for you until those guys get up to speed and then you transition them in. So he was only ever going to be a short-term fix. Yeah, yeah. But they've had to plug gaps with guys like him because they've got no one and that's such an unappealing place now for players to go to. Which again comes back into the whole coaching well, story. Well, who are some names that you would have them target for next year? So, you might as well go big <laughs> and try and sign Will Skelton. Like, Will why Skelton. would you try and bring Will, Will Skelton back? Yeah, you missed. You missed, um, you missed out on Isaac Rodder. You need some decent lock prowess. You got someone like Will Skelton who knows the area. Hopefully, has fond memories. Um, and comes in with a lot of experience, but. You know, you could you could change him in for can we can we drag someone like a Rory Arnold or a um, you know there were heaps of locks that went overseas and and next yeah. year is the year when you're a year or two out from the World Cup, people are going to start paying attention to what opportunities there are for a starting lineup spot in Australian Super Rugby. You should be trying to entice those guys back. I think that was that was one of the names I was mentioned going to mention as well, Skelton. The other person that was thrown out in one of the articles during the week was Tolu Latu, and I'm not sure if I buy into that. I think he he was good when he was here, but is he really the type of guy you want to go chasing that's in France doing well? And I think would be, again, you'd have to throw a lot of money at him. What um, What about some of these guys that are maybe in other super teams, like in the Brumbies and Reds that do have a bit of a plethora now, but are, you can offer some starting time? Where yeah. What about those sort of guys? Like the person that Ryan Smith, Ryan Smith, maybe someone like I, that. They, people said Ryan Smith. I was thinking more like I'd go after more like Nick Frost. I'd go after yeah. maybe maybe you could throw some money at Sarah Uru and bring him down. Yeah, um, because yeah, he's not- it's, it's I, I think it's hard to pry these guys away from such a strong culture and such good opportunities that they're getting at their current clubs. I think if they get frustrated because they're not getting enough time off the bench or they're not even in the 23, then there may be some opportunity there to poach certain players. I'd actually be looking up to Japan and guys like Harry Hawkins, who I think would be keen to come back at some point. He probably can't go to the Reds now. So I think the Waratahs would be kind of his next best option. Um, given they would be able to pay him. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Karevi will come back to anyone except for Queensland, but I could be wrong. And I think one other guy I saw really carving it up for the Rico Black Rams on the weekend was Isaac Lucas, who looked really good at 10. Yeah, I saw that. And he's a guy that can play multiple positions in a back line. You can put him at 15. I think he'd be excellent there for the Waratahs. And he's still really young, you know, he's 20, 21. Um, 
and I think he would be a really good long-term prospect that you could form some good combinations with Will Harrison. So if we have Jake Gordon back, if we have Will Harrison there at 10, they're pretty solid. And then Joey Walton might be an option long-term in the back line. Maddox, I think, still has potential. And then you throw in a couple more guys and you're looking like you've got a much better back line running around. I don't Fords, it's the same kind of piece there. Like you've got probably Michael Hooper who's going to come back at some point, I think. But it's just making sure that you recruit in the right fashion, that you actually build for the long term. But with some immediate success as well, you can't just be waiting three years to get a win in this competition or something. I'd be even, I'd be going the harder even in the front row sort of thing. Like Scott Seo's maybe slipping a little bit at the Brumbies, lost out in the Waratahs. Scott, he's, he's from uh, in the Wallabies squad. He's he's from Sydney. Maybe you can entice him back. Maybe you can Might try and get, head though. Maybe you can get Jermaine Ainsley back over from the Highlanders. He's been injured, hasn't seen a lot of time. Is he going to stay over there? Do you even get someone like Matt Gibbon up from the Rebels who's suddenly been supplanted but was sort of a starting and reasonable scrummager down there? Like, you need to just get a few of these guys that aren't in the very end of their career, that are still sort of in the middle of their career and still solid. Um, and then maybe you go up, like, Korobiti, they're talking about going overseas to Japan. Do you throw a bunch of money and try and get him in? Do you try and offer... Draw a say say from the Reds and see if he'll come down now that there's two established wingers at the Reds or Hamish Stewart come down and play in the centres for us. Like, mm. you look at all these options. That's a good shout, Hamish Stewart. Yeah, that, and that's that for me, that's where you, you want to build from the inside out. So I wouldn't start with a high, high flying winger because if you can't get the ball out to them, if you can't include them properly, then they're just going to be wasted. And that's what I feel like happened to Maddox last year. We, got stuck out on the end of a back line without a lot of talent and didn't get any ball. And now he's playing like a lesser player. Um, Yeah. I think you've got to start in the core. There's, it's hard to think of front rowers. Like I'm, I'm struggling for names, but certainly, yeah, I feel like there's, there's got to be opportunities for Skelton's Rory Arnold, Adam Coleman, um, maybe Harry Hawkins, but someone who's maybe an ex wallaby and, and, you know, doesn't want to go back to the rebels. Doesn't want to, wants to come back to Sydney. Like, you build around those core players. You've got a Michael Hooper back. Toby's right. You've got the players who are injured back in the lineup. It looks so much better. And that's the not seeing that is what frustrates me about the Waratahs management that you can keep turning the coach over, but I don't think you get through this problem in two to three years. I think it's four years, you know, three to four years and turning over a coach in 18 months, even if he's had horrible results, like, I don't know. I'm just, I'm more patient no with that. I think they're in a bigger hole. Squad, they're not going to, they're not yeah, going to have this. They're, they're not just in a ditch. They're in a massive hole and you don't get out of that in 18 months. It's going to take a long time and it's going to take even longer than we've seen, you know, Queensland now. build up to the point that they are because they were struggling three or four years ago. There's no yeah. doubt about that, but they had a long-term plan. They stuck to it. They recruited well, you know, during that time as well and built upon the youth that they actually had coming through the system and now it's really paying dividends. Um, the problem in New South Wales is that people are impatient. They want success quickly. Yeah. And that's always been the case. You know, there's fickle crowds in Sydney. If you're not winning, people don't turn up. It's probably not as loyal supporter base that, say, the Reds have anyway. So management are keen to, to get results quickly, to have success. And maybe it's not prolonged success. Maybe it's just one, one or two good seasons, and then they're kind of in a in a hole again and that's probably been the the problem that we've had over the last say mm. five years 
where we build up short-term success, you know, we make a small run to the finals and then, you know, there's nothing after that for the next year and these rosters are just deteriorating. Um, so I think roster needs to be, it needs to be fixed as soon as possible and whether that's done before the new coach comes in or not, you know, it remains to be seen. Yeah. All right. Enough time on the Waratahs for, for spent far too long. Um, the big other thing that came up over the weekend was the pony list. Um, players of natural national interest announced on Sunday and some surprises that came along. Um, what, was, what was the biggest surprise you noticed from this list, Leo? Um, probably... <laughs> I think some players that we talked about as, you know, showing some good, good signs, good skills, were getting opportunities ahead of other more established players. Uh, for me, the wildest thing is the, the fact that we've picked four uncapped hookers. Like I know, I know we've had uh, at least Alex Murphy in and around the squad before at some point possibly, but it's very, very hard to imagine going into a, uh, you know, a, a rugby championship with no hookers with any test caps. Uh, and I understand that that's a result of, say, uh, Brendan Pangamosa is going overseas at the end of the year. But, I mean, I, I'm still not clear on why Falau Fainga isn't in there. And actually, that's probably what gives me half a thought that these lists are being used as um, motivators for some people. Like, I, I don't know how he can criticise Falau Fainga's game at the moment but if he thinks he needs to put a rocket up him then maybe that's a way of doing it not sure it's a way i'd do it but possible that that's a, an approach um joe powell i think is unlucky to have missed out we mentioned scott co um but there is a bit of competition there and he does seem to be on, on the slide a little bit um and i mean angus Blythe always throw one in for him i think he's been really big and physical for the reds but there's also some other good locks coming through now. So competition got a little bit more intense than last year. Um, yeah. So guys like that, and uh, I'm sure someone else will mention it, but Izzy Nicerani getting a nod after not getting a nod last year and having played no rugby this year, that's the sort of thing which uh, makes me doubt um, Dave Rennie a bit. I think it's very important that we, take note of the fact that this isn't a Wallaby squad, that he's, you know, pulled this together for certain reasons. And I think Nicerani, where last year was almost like he's sending him a message by leaving him off this list, um, get a rocket up, up him and, and try to improve his form in certain areas. But this time I think he actually wants him in, given he hasn't played, to see where he's at and have a really good look at him, um, given his limited game time in the last six months. Um, so I think that's that's important to note. But... To pick guys like Parecki over Fayanga and, I mean, Blythe is unlucky, I think, but Darcy Swain's probably taking his place, really. But I just don't really see the point of leaving out someone like Falau Fayanga and Scott Seo when you're picking guys that aren't the quality that they are. Like, Dave Parecki is not a better prospect than Falau Fayanga. He's just not. And he hasn't outplayed him this year either, so... Whether it's just a, 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 you know sending a message to these players, or are they really out of favour? I just I find it hard to interpret which way Rennie's thinking with these with these decisions on certain players. Yeah, and I mean the other name that stood out to me. I mean we saw a couple of force players make it into the squad, which it was good to see. Um, Tim Anstey, who we talked about um, on the pod last week, 
Um, we saw Katu, um, one of the uncapped hookers, coming in, and Sidalaki Tamani obviously coming in as um, sort of the old veteran to cover that that lock position as well as we as we sort of mentioned maybe maybe he would be there as a bit of injury cover though it's surprising to bring him in um off the bat um obviously showing um Rodder that he's not not in favor at this stage but someone like Fergus Lee Warner you you've got to feel sorry for a guy like that um to not get selected after after the impact that he has week to week yeah well again Anstey who's played fewer minutes um, certainly, he's looked great when he has been playing, but uh, like yeah. the, I'm the not, only I'm knock not I said at all, Anstey being there. No, no, he's a player of the future. That's that's fair yeah. enough. That's fair enough. But but you've got to look at like who's contributing for their team. And my only knock on Fergus Lee Warner is still I think he's a bit of a target for the ref. I think the team tends to get penalised a bit, and it's not a lot. It's not he's not like some violent delinquent or anything. He's just a little bit more visible, and he seems to give away more penalties than maybe should. But, I mean, that's something you can work on, right? So everything else he brings, energy, work rate, skill set, like what's what's to be unhappy with? And, again, I don't really like the, the player, but Richard Hardwick. Like we've picked one seven basically, right? And Hardwick's out there and Fergus Lee Warner's out there. They're very visible and they're not getting any any opportunities in this squad. I guess Samu, Samu could play seven if needed. That's the only probably backup to Fraser McRide, and I guess because of Liam Wright's injury at the moment, like he would be the other option. But I think it's too early for Carlo Tizano. Just going back to uh, going back to Fergus Lee Warner, I think the fact that he's probably not big enough to play lock at the international level hurts him, and he's probably not quite the mobile number six that Rennie wants. I think could be the only thing that you know, is against him because you're right. He doesn't do anything else wrong. You can't see many er like faults in his game really. And discipline can be cleaned up. So you think he's less mobile than Swinton? I don't know. Maybe he's less of a aggressive ball carrier than Swinton. I don't know. He's definitely less of an aggressive defender, but he's more of a consistent defender that's going to hit more rocks, I'd say, than Swinton. I would rather have Fergus Lee Warner there than a couple of guys that have been selected in that back row. I feel really like he's one of the guys I just can't understand where where Rennie's head's at. Surely you'd want to kind of bring him in for at least the initial squad and see how he stacks up, you know, yeah. right in front of your eyes against these other guys because he has the stature of an international number six. You know, he's six foot five, six foot six, 115 kilos, and he... He's pretty he's mobile. I just don't think another he's, Scott Fardy, like. he's not a Valentini-like character in attack, but few are. So I just, yeah, it baffles the mind a little bit that he missed out again. Someone who I wish I'd mentioned last week in our in our two early Wallabies, um, and I didn't and I didn't mention it. I don't think in in the pod, but um, Muirhead, I I did almost put him in for Pattaya, but. Um, in the end, I, I maybe made the same choice Rennie did, which is, you know, keep selecting the guy even though he's had a few faults early, uh, at the moment. Andy Muirhead getting a, a deserving nod yeah, for stepping I, up and really, you know, t- telling me where to put it when last year I'm talking about how he's really, to me, only a super rugby level player. You know, very good, very consistent, but not good enough for internationals. I think he's really putting pressure on that argument now. Absolutely, and I think I think he's been impressive for a number of years, really. But 
um, I think, and we, we are probably guilty of the same as a lot of sort of the media anyway, in terms of writing him off just in terms of his stature and saying, oh, he's not going to make an international sort of step up. But that's, that's not a boundary anymore in international wingers. And it is, is like the, the guy in Sheffield Shield who just scores runs year after year and you go, oh, he's only really good enough for Sheffield Shield and they don't pick him and then just by sheer force of consistency, performance, they finally get their nod or they finally get their opportunity. And again, I don't know if he's going to beat out the other candidates to the wing spots in the Wallabies because he really he's a specialist winger, right? No one would consider him anywhere else. Um, but it's good that he's getting included, like the guys in the force. They're they're not, you know, it's not an impossibility that they find their way into a Wallaby squad from where they started, which is really encouraging for players on the on the up and up ever everywhere. So congratulations to all the debutants that are listed and now have the chance to get into a Wallabies jersey. And we already mentioned people like Sarah Uru, who's been so outstanding for the Reds. Um, another outstanding game from him uh, on the weekend. Josh Kemeny's um, been putting in sort of the hard yards down at the Rebels. Um, I think it once again sort of shows with a few of these guys um, that we're still searching for that number six. Um, I think there were five or six sort of potential number sixes named in the squad. Um, and when you balance that, like we said, against one seven, um, it just shows that there's still a lot of doubt, I think, in, in Rennie's mind of what, what the perfect makeup is. Um, of that team in any case. And so looking across at Super Rugby Aotearoa now, and this was round five, so we're halfway through the season. And I think I think collectively all of our picks were wrong in these two games. So I don't think anyone picked the Hurricanes over the Highlanders who went down to Forsyth Byron, won 30 points to 19. Bit of a Geordie Barrett special down there. And the Chiefs. They get in a close one, Battle of Bombay, um, FMG Stadium, Waikato, 15 to 12. The Blues lose two in a row here. And it means that the Chiefs are suddenly up into um, third place here, um, equal on wins with the Blues, with the Blues just having a couple of bonus points there. So suddenly the Chiefs going from uh, looking like the bottom of this table are suddenly in the middle and, and are going to start pushing for, for finals um, here. But boys, as, it, as it's five weeks uh, into Super Rugby Arturo, I thought that we should, rather than deep diving into these games, I just want to hear, um, and I think we'll go around and talk about who's been the most impressive from this competition uh, so far and who's stood out the most uh, that you guys have noticed. There's a few, and some of them aren't surprising, but I think it's worthy of a mention. Um, no one would deny that Richie Moanga has just been on another level a level of his own um, this season has just been absolutely lethal in games, particularly in the second half. Just he sees all the weaknesses uh, of the team in front and he's putting people through gaps. He's taking himself through gaps, scoring tries, kicking conversions, penalties, and just racking up the stats. So um, no surprises really, but uh, you know, the elite, stay elite and um, and really, you know, make make the 10 jersey all of his own. Uh, and the other guy from his team who, again, is really going to own this his All Blacks jersey, I think is Cody Taylor. Uh, the game just looked absolutely sensational, fast, um, popping up in all the right parts of the field, doing his work in the scrum, doing his work in the line out. Um, is, you know, he's going to be, he's looking like one of those really, 
exceptional hookers uh, who's going to hold his jersey for some time to come. He's probably, you know, he's got opportunity to be revered in the way that people think of Kevin Mialamu and, you know, Dane Coles in his heyday. Like Cody Taylor could be that kind of um, hooker who just holds out a lot of other people for his career. Um, for me, I think Damian McKenzie is a guy that's really bounced back, back strongly this season. Um, and I think he'll put a lot of pressure on the selectors to include him in the starting 15. Obviously, that's difficult with the way that Geordie's playing as well and potentially with Bowden coming back at some point. But I think the way that McKenzie is assisting in the backfield, and I think he would you know, pair really well with Moonga in a starting all-backs 15, his size is probably the only question mark, but he just continues to play above his weight and he's just electric when he's in form like this. So I think he's he's obviously struggled a, lot, a couple of years ago with a knee injury and I think he's fully recovered from that now and he looks really back to his best. And so I look forward to seeing more of him this year and he's just carving up defences and it's great to see. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And, and another guy in the Chiefs as well, um, I almost was going to say Takiyaho, the hooker, um, has been a real standout. And wait, ready for it, Tobes? I'm going to say it correctly. I think he um, could well supplant Dane Coles. <laughs> Damn, I That's said huge. it right the wrong way as well. No, you did it. Well done, mate. What about, um, I um, mean, Amoa is another one that's going to be probably in competition yeah. with Takiyaho. Um, I think Cody Taylor is the clear starter. He's the clear number one, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, he's not as young maybe as people think he is. I think he's close Yeah, he's to been around for a while. But he continues to, to improve, I think. And yeah, he offers almost as much around the field in terms of general play, running the ball as Dane Coles. Um, but it's, it's really those other two hooker spots. There's a few guys putting their hand up in New Zealand. What do, you, what do you guys think about Luke Jacobson this year? We had him a couple of years ago, um, was about to burst onto the all-black scene, it seemed like. Got that derailed by um, quite a serious injury and he sort of worked his way back now. And there is, is a lot of competition to get into um, the back row of the all-blacks now. There's a lot of sixes, there's a lot of eights, there's a lot of sevens. Do you think there's a place for Luke Jacobson in the squad, potentially in the 23? Yeah, I, I think he... I mean, I think he's come back from Japan, right? Did he spend a year or two over in Japan or something? That was my... I assume that was the case because it really hadn't been on the radar much unless that was all injury-related. But I think he was seen, looked upon pretty favourably by the All Black selectors a few years ago. And it maybe just depends on the form of some of the Blues guys like Akira Yuani, who, you know, comes in and out of favour, Hoskins Tutu, um you know, Liam Squire in the Highlanders, guys like that, that, you know, are right on the, right on the, the radar of the selectors. I think Luke Jacobson, if he's in form, would definitely be pushing. I'm not sure if he'd be starting, but you could definitely see him in an all-black squad, I think. Yeah, so he actually um, obviously made his debut for the all-blacks in 2019, and then it was delayed onset concussion symptoms. Um, that really kept him out. And he hasn't been to Japan. He's just been out really? for long periods with that. So he's had quite a difficult road back. And it's because he did miss, again, most of last year, um, still battling sort of these symptoms. And his, his initial sort of injury cover when he went out of the All Blacks was Shannon Frizzell. And so suddenly he's 
um, let someone like that into an opportunity and it's now, yeah, going to be really hard for him to get it back. A couple other players looking more in the backs. Again, um, guys have impressed me. The, the latest position he's played is inside centre for the Chiefs, but he's spent some time at outside as well, is Quintapia has looked just really... Uh, yeah. He's, he's looked really um, physical, fast. Especially and, this weekend, he just... Yeah, and, and you know, he's showing his, his wares against his opposition, um, I suppose his competition in someone like Rico Ioani. Um, just just looks really elusive and, and strong. So even when guys are, are getting contact with him, he's, he's not going down, he's breaking tackles. Um, yeah, just another, another player with massive potential. I don't think we've seen... Uh, all these skills yet anyway. And and there had to be one good one in the family. Connor Garden Bashup is lighting up the Highlanders wing. Um, get some good highlights out of him. Uh, he looks a lot faster than his brother and he, he looks like he's found a spot there for the meantime when he's fit. Um, not that they're short of wingers in New Zealand, but just, just a, a young player, very visible week to week. Um, which you know, as a rookie, is pretty impressive. So, uh, yeah, they're, they're two more that that I think are are going to be pushing through in the next few years and and keeping a close eye on their uh, elite counterparts, guys like McKenzie, guys like Geordie Barrett, who after thirty points on the weekend, I, I don't see how they can pick Bowden back at fullback when he's over in Japan playing ten, just yeah. to get him in. Like that's someone like Geordie or McKenzie's got to be getting that jersey and. And don't forget um, the other Highlanders winger, Jonah Nareki, as well, after a standout performance, a couple of starting off this season, maybe a little bit quieter in the last week or so. But um, I think between him and uh, Gun Bashup, as you say, Leo, like there's been a lot of excitement um, in the back three down there in the Highlanders. What seems strange to me is the fact that we can go through these standout players and we fail to mention anyone from the Blues. What do you guys think the issue is? Is that because there is the hype sort of disappearing around these players? Is it like, I mean, last year, the new hotness with Caleb Clark, is it because people now know to be aware of this guy? Is it because they've had this two-game sort of slump? Like, it's, it's starting to, it's just starting to feel a little bit of the blues of the last five years, isn't it? Where there's just a little bit of, little bit of consistency problems. Maybe, but also I think... You've you've got to you've got to step back. Don't panic and just look at this in in terms of momentum and in terms of cycles, and not not in like team rebuild and and succeed and rebuild again cycles. Just just in um, results. Like it's unlikely that the Blues come out like they do last year, impress us all so much, have such a great season, and then come in this year and are exactly the same. Because there's fewer surprises, more of these guys are betting into their to their full time first fifteen roles. The combinations are maturing, um, you know, and and the games are going to be approached differently because you have this more uh, unified, experienced group who've done it last season, and they're looking to build on that. So my expectations this season were pretty high, and I think that's the trap that you that you see them last year, and then this year you're just looking for more pure excitement, new names, you know, just every week there's someone else who's sensational who you're talking about who you really haven't seen much of this year. I think they're all, they're all, you know, there again and teams are scheming against them individually or as, as groups. And 
it's harder to blow our minds and it's more that consistency they're working on. And and two games lost, one against the Crusaders, which is always going to be very difficult, and this one which the Chiefs found a way and kept the score down. I, I'm not panicking yet. I just think that you, you're going to get this in the second year of a, of a growing team. I reckon we probably saw it with the Reds as well when they were coming through. They impressed. They had a few close losses and then they got a bit, you know, they plateau a bit and then they've, they just keep maturing and they'll spark again for sure. I I think it's difficult to consider them, a, you know, taking the next step when they're playing Finlay Christie at nine, a Terry Black at 10, Harry Plummer at 12 and Perifero at 15. It's a very familiar look about it. And that was before their successful run last year. That was when they were building up towards that. I don't think those guys... You probably can, you know, Christie might be fine for now because there's a couple of injuries, but Plummer and Perifetta should probably be supplanted by guys of a higher quality, I think. Um, Fayane, I think, probably has potential there at 12. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you, I think the difference is if Bowden was playing 15 for them, I think they would be playing at a higher level. I just think the quality in that back line is lacking a little bit. You know, I'm not sold still on Rico Yuane being a number 13. Maybe that's fine at super rugby level. I don't think internationally, but I'd actually, would you like to see Rico at 15? I think that would be quite interesting to see him at the back and kind of show him, you know, that everyone what he can do with a bit more space back there. Maybe he doesn't have quite the, the kicking game or the kind of positional smarts for it. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I just think with those three names in there, particularly, these were the guys that were fighting for the number 10 position, if you remember, probably in 20, 2019 and 2018. Um, I think their back line is probably just lacking a little bit for quality. And so if Caleb, Caleb Clark isn't quite firing and Talia isn't at his best either, suddenly, yeah, you would kind of lost a lot of your firepower out wide. Are yeah. they still the second best team in New Zealand? Yes. I think they're still in that, that middle tier with the Chiefs and probably, I mean, it's hard to really build in the tiers in New Zealand, but I always thought the Crusaders were standalone at the top. I thought the Blues almost were at their own tier in the second tier, but maybe they're more of the equivalent of a Chiefs and a Hurricanes team and the Highlanders on their day. Maybe there's just that clump of teams there that, that can all perform well on a given day and beat each other. And, the and where would you the put the team? Brumbies and the Reds then if you were slotting them well, into the tiers? That's an interesting question that I'd probably want you guys to look at because I think Paul Cully, one of the New Zealand journalists, has put in terms of power rankings, the Reds and Brumbies at second and third in his column. So he sees them as, I guess, quite a threat to some of these New Zealand teams, which we haven't seen for a number of years. Mm. And it's going to make things really interesting when we get to the Trans-Tasman competition to see how the Australian teams can compete. I think I agree with Paul Cully, really. Like, I think the thing that will undo the Australian teams will be more mental than physical or skills or game plan. I think it'll just be the daunting task of facing up to New Zealand teams that have a lot of um, belief in themselves and have a lot of history and weight against Australian teams, especially on tour. I do not think that if if the Reds and Brumbies stay mentally strong and aren't fearful and, and you know, like the Reds um, in their match the other week against the Brumbies where they came through and won, like they stayed in the game even though they were behind a lot of the time. 
they show that type of resilience against these Kiwi teams. And I absolutely think they're probably two, three in the power rankings. Do you think then it's all the New Zealand teams after that before you get to the Rebels or the Force? Rebels, I think, could knock off, you know, maybe they're equivalent to like a Highlanders. I don't mm. think there'd be too much between those sort of teams. Um, the way the Hurricanes Rebels play Chiefs, actually could, could like yeah. dismantle a little bit um, some of those teams. It, well, they're, they're changing the way they're playing at the moment because they are actually able to score a few more tries in the last couple of games, whereas early on they were just, you know, really relying all on their defence and chipping away with three-pointers. So it'd be interesting to see, are they just adapting to the different opposition that they're actually facing or is it just an evolution of their season? But I think the Rebels could definitely knock off one or two New Zealand teams I wouldn't be confident that the Tars could beat any of them. Don't think that's a possibility. Force, I think, might struggle too. But I could easily see the Reds beating a team like the Blues. I think the Reds are kind of, it would be a really good matchup given, you know, some of the potency they have out wide, both those teams, the big, strong forwards that can carry. Um, I think it would be a really ideal matchup. I don't think anyone's stopping the Crusaders. But I really think with the quality of the Brumbies and the Reds at the moment, that they could easily be in that top five, you know, pretty, pretty easily. A massive improvement if you think about what we were talking about a few years ago with Australian rugby and and the difficulties just trying to match up with any New Zealand team. Looking to round six for Super Rugby Archero, we go back, obviously, to the reverse of round one's fixture. So Crusaders hosting the Highlanders at Orange Theory and the Blues now hosting the Hurricanes in what seems to be a little bit of a must-win game to bounce back for the Blues. Um, otherwise, this is three on the trot, and that's, that's going to start to upset what is New Zealand's biggest rugby market, much like the Waratahs. Yeah. It's it's the same. I'd give it the same preamble I, I gave the Chiefs Blues last week, which was that this is a, a fairly critical point for both teams. The Chiefs trying to find consecutive weeks of good form and and get a couple of wins after a long dry spell. The Blues coming off uh, a tough loss against the Crusaders, now coming off a tough loss against the Chiefs, and again they really need to you know stop the bleeding and get a win over the Hurricanes who are riding high off the boot of Geordie. Um, I think I tip the Blues to do that. I think, again, I still think they are a tier above the other teams. I think the Chiefs did really well to match it and beat them. I don't think that changes the tiers I have them in. Um, the Hurricanes are finding a way of playing that gets all their good, uh, skillful backs involved, even though their forwards seem a bit lightweight. So um, it's going to be a good contest. And it's a uh, Crusaders for me against the Highlanders is not yeah. much more I need to say on that. Yeah. I, I really want to see the Blues forward step back up. I think they were disappointing against what should have been uh, a less powerful Chiefs pack last week. So I think this is, this is the team that should be built around really being dominant up front and being dominant in the set piece. And they should be pushing this Hurricanes pack all around the field. Um, and that should be the main point of focus and then you, you're sending your um, Papali'i or Satutu after Geordie G- Barrett every, any time he gets the ball to hammer him, make sure he's not getting any sort of space because obviously he's he's the X-factor of that whole team. 
but I'd, I'd back the, the Blues to get back to it. So I think back at home, I've I got to take the Blues. Um, I think they will manage to keep it slow, but I still think the Blues should, should win this seven or eight points. Yeah, I'd have to agree. I think the Hurricanes would do maybe a bit of a bounce back. And to your credit, Arch, I think you did call it. They do go into some of these away games and they, they snatched the occasional one and they did that last week. I think it's a bit more difficult coming up against the Blues at home who perhaps the Crusaders did kind of take a bit of wind out of their sails a couple of weeks back and that's affected them um, in terms of confidence. But I think they'll bounce back here. They should get a win and they're the better team, I think. Um, and similarly with the Crusaders at home, I think they'll be far too strong for the Highlanders. Um, and, yeah, it's, I think it will be probably the Crusaders and Blues that do finish top two. Um, once we get to the end of the Arturoa season. But the Blues really do need to start, you know, getting that consistency back, really scoring their points when they're in the right part of the field and not making some of those uncharacteristic errors and kind of ill-discipline that they can get into trouble with sometimes um, with some of their loose forwards particularly. So, yeah, I'm looking for a big game for the Blues. I think they're, they're due a bounce back performance. Yeah. And Super Rugby AU, we have the Waratahs hosting the Brumbies. First fixture at the Sydney Cricket Ground. Uh, that's on Friday night. And then the Rebels hosting the Reds down in Amy Park. The Reds obviously um, avoided going back to Queensland with this snap lockdown um, emerging in Brisbane for the next three days. So they're going to be staying on the road. And if things progress, it may um, compromise their next fixture against the Brumbies. But we'll see how that progresses Waratahs Brumbies first off, guys. It just it's brutal. Is this is this gonna be a it case where we see so often where a coach gets fired and the team rallies around and the team actually comes out with a bit more fire the week after? New new coach bounce, they call it, particularly in football, or new manager bounce. But I, I don't think it's gonna happen here because you you're relying on Jason Gilmore, Chris Whitaker already in the system. So they're just stepping up to the mark with their limited head coaching experience. So it's not as though you're getting some really fresh blood into the system. So I think the guys will have a reaction. I think that they will come out and really try their best, but they just don't have the playing stock to be able to match it with the Brumbies. SEG, it's not a great place to play rugby either. I doubt there'll be much of an atmosphere there. And um, I think, yeah, it's going to be another tough struggle for them. I I think it'll be similar to last week, maybe a 30-point margin. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if it'll be... I'm not sure I'll tip that big. Obviously, that was a wise tip by Toby. He had them by 27 or something. 27. Um, I think the Waratahs, I still think they are finding little improvements week to week. It's not going to get them a win probably this season, but I, I, I think they're more respectable than a 30-point margin. Um, I'd like to see them just have a few few phases, a few, a few sequences of good attacking play. Uh, I think the defence has been pretty good, even though they've been um, sort of cut up and had lots of tries scored. Like, it hasn't been, like, really pathetic defence and just open scrambling the whole time. Like, teams have had to work pretty hard to, you know, push through the forwards. And, yeah, look, mm. it's been it's been visible coming. Like, the, the forward packs and mauling off lineouts, like, you can kind of see it's going to come, but it's... It's not completely one-sided. I think the Waratahs probably keep it more respectable. I'm thinking more like a two-try margin. 
which would be a big improvement from the 51-point loss they suffered in round two to these guys. So they definitely wouldn't want to um, break that record that they suffered last week, which was the biggest, the most amount of points scored against the Waratahs in Sydney, um, which was at 46 points. But yeah, it's it's hard to see a game that's going to st- stay close with, between these two. But again, I'm I'm enjoying seeing some of these new guys put together a bit of performances. I mean, I'm I'm I mean excited to see a bit more of Azia um, Parisi playing at 12. I think he runs really good lines, and um, there are a few times where he's running a great line and the ball didn't quite get to him. Um, and maybe just another week with around these people, they'll realize that he's actually um, probably the best weapon they have in the back line to break the game open a little bit for the rebels and reds. I'm excited for this game. Like I think this could be down in Amy park. Um, the reds, I think have a little bit got their, their work cut out for them um, coming up here. They've had some easier games. Like obviously um, they would have felt reasonably confident and they've obviously put a lot of points on the Waratahs last week. This was a team that that they seemed to struggle against, you know, early in the season. Last year, we saw a draw between these two guys. And I wouldn't be surprised if it it comes down to, like, the final few minutes and um, people looking to take penalties to try and get in front here. Yeah, this is the game which I think the Reds will find, aside from the obvious rematch with the Brumbies, this is the other game which I think is a, a real threat to the Reds. They've got the perfect season going for now. Uh, they've got to travel down to Melbourne. They've got to keep keep the form up. Uh, obviously, they looked good against the Waratahs last week, but the the Rebels have just been so so much more staunch in defence. They look organised. They look like they have a plan. They're targeting certain players. Um, their first twenty minutes has been really intense. Uh, so, if the Reds have had a slightly um, disturbed pre- preparation for this game, given the Queensland lockdown, like not ideal, uh, I suppose. Hopefully, Brad Brad Thorne's keeping them occupied and and then can keep them focused in this game um, because the Rebels could could pinch this. This could be like a close sort of in the twenty ish points each, and and it's snatched by penalty, as you say, Archer. Uh, I can definitely see that happening. I still have the Reds winning because I have all faith in in teams in red jerseys now. But um, yeah, I think this is going to be a real contest and and. The Reds might have to fight their way back into it if they don't start strong. I do wonder whether the Reds actually went back to Brisbane after the game against the Waratahs Um, because obviously they played in Sydney and now they're heading to Melbourne. So, I mean, maybe they just planned for that longer road trip. But I think the... They were planning to go back to Brisbane, but then they they cancelled that um, return because of the... So it's whether they were ill-prepared for that based on what they actually brought with them. But... You know, teams in the last couple of seasons have obviously been prepared for the worst and roll with the punches a little bit, and the Rebels are probably the best example of that. But down in Melbourne, it's interesting place to play. Obviously, the Reds won't have as many fans down there to, to back them, and, you know, that atmosphere at Suncorp's hard to match. I think they're good enough here to score quite a few points on the, on the Rebels. I think the Rebels have shown that they've got a good defence and I just don't think that they're going to have enough to stop the potency of the Reds, particularly out wide with guys like... I don't know if Funavala will be fit for this one, which maybe... Yeah, I think he's likely um, to, to miss with a hamstring injury, it looks like. Mm. But they've got 
plenty of depth across the board. I think the Reds too strong here. Could be tied early, but I think in the end they'll get some ascendancy and I'd be picking them by about, say, 12 points. Tell you what I do want to bring up. You just reminded me with um, Vunivalu getting the hamstring sort of tweak, um, which they're not particularly worried about, but they think could be a week or two out. Um, I think you've got to put um, Patea back onto the wing, man. I think you need to get him out of the centre. They're not going to do it, though. Man, like, he's just like, yeah, he looks good. But it's like he's one out of five. The ball. One out of five times when he takes the ball up, he looks good. And the other four, he does something a bit silly. I just think maybe you take away um, a bit of the responsibility. He just has to get on the wing, run forward, and he he, well, he can do that flick back inside. But I don't think he he you can't give him two sides of the field to think about flicking that ball because he, he panics. Tammy Stewart, Leo. Well, at the at the at what cost? Like if you have to slip Paisami back out to thirteen, I'm sure he will adapt. He just seems to be um, adapting week to week getting better and, and no doubt he could go back and, and play that uh, if you wanted to. And Hamish Stewart was a stalwart for them, a solid defending 12, not flashy, direct, you know, very, very physical in offense uh, as well as defense. So I, I don't think they lose too much in doing that. I agree that something needs to change for Patea. And if it's not, if it's just not a conversation that is, look, you need to be, we, we love the offloading game. The Reds scored that try on the weekend uh, Taniel Tupo scoring, running over the top the of Tizano. Just just absurd series of, of play. But that was about nine offloads they strung together to do that. And the the likelihood of that happening in a game, like it just doesn't happen very often, right? But their game is based around heaps of support, throw the offload, be solid in defense so that you can you can turn um, turn around and chase and, and recover but just create as many attacking opportunities as you can and look at the points they've racked up. This is probably the one case where I would be going to Patea and saying, we need to be a little bit more disciplined with the offloads. It's not offload every time if your arm's free. It's think about who's around you. Think about the numbers because there's been a couple of times where it's been a little bit um, a little bit isolated and, and the teams have grabbed the ball, turned it around, and it's, you know, it's been a 40, 50-metre result against the Reds and that's something which will you know that'll get them unstuck in these games that are close they can't afford to do that I don't think Patea's judgment and and execution is good enough with those offloads at the moment so I want him to tone that down and that'll just take opportunities away from the opposition who get very few opportunities from other players in the Reds I want to see um, Tamua get smoked by Hunter again looking forward <laughs> to that <laughs> what, what, is, what is the term? Melting? Melted. You want to see, yeah. you want to see Hunter melting. melt him again? Also, um, Tong and Thor against Pone Falmasili. It's going to be a huge matchup. There's some really and good Ilof. matchups Ilof? across Ilof. The... In the scrums against Ilof. Well, yeah, either of them. Could Xander versus Elof. Elof will be able to melt Xander. I think there's going to be some really big hits in this one. And um, yeah, just, an I think the Rebels, look, the Rebels are, are a team that's. They're not they're not particularly Surprise flashy, but they, they do the they do the the basics pretty well. And I think that's gonna allow them to have a chance in this one. As I said, I think the quality of the Reds is too hard. It's undeniable at the moment. I think they're just too good. Um, but they can't underestimate this Rebels team by any means. Yeah. You know, Waratahs are one thing. This Rebel team's Rebels team is competent. 
and they will take their opportunities for points. So you've got to watch out that for that, I think. I feel like the Rebels team character is really just an extension of Matt Tamua. Consistent, good defenders, not super flashy, will accumulate points, but every now and then obviously does have the skill to pull out one of those ridiculous chip and chases and just amaze you. But it doesn't happen very often. I mean, it happens once a season at this rate, right? Yeah. But that's the sort of team they are. So they're consistent. They do their basics well. Yeah, they're not game breakers most of the time. Obviously, there's the odd guy who can do it, but you need to just suffocate like big hits in in defense like really really bring that bring that intensity back to them but i think for the reds it's might maybe it's the sneaky game plan is you know front up and be very physical but also be aware that the rebels are going to try and out out muscle you and there's going to be times where you know a subtle little jink or step against a guy who's absolutely lined you up from 10 meters back and is trying to put his shoulder through you a subtle step and someone's going to overcommit. The Reds can make hay out of that type of, um, of just brute defense. And, you know, I think the Rebels are probably better than that, but I reckon there's a few individual matchups where guys are going to be putting marks on their opposite number and there's opportunity to outwit. Keep on moving on. And we did see the end of the Six Nations up north. We saw this France-Scotland game and all credit to Scotland here because everyone was talking up France, talking about what they needed to do to snatch the Six Nations off the Welsh. Um, and Scotland just stood up. They copped a red card uh, to Finn Russell after putting his uh, elbow and forearm into um, one of the French players' neck to sort of fend him off. Um, but they still managed to get a try in the 81st minute, Duan van der Merwe, um, and they sneak a victory here. France end up still in second overall. Scotland stay in fourth with Ireland third, but France, Scotland and Ireland all end on three wins, two losses. Uh, so very close there. And it'll be very interesting to see what happens with Lions squad selections that will be coming up sooner rather than later after a bit of a disappointing English um, outing this year and obviously impressive um, form from the other three sort of teams in contention, whether we see a bit more um, representation of the Scottish and the Welsh um, over some of those um, big names that we know from the English. Obviously, we saw some top league on the weekend as well. Toby's already mentioned Isaac Lucas ripping it up for um, the Rico Black Rams. Um, The big game was probably Suntory. Uh, versus Toyota Verblitz, which you can catch the highlights on Stan. I thoroughly recommend you go have a look. Um, Bowden up there with Karevi and Tavita Lee up against Hooper and Kieran Reid. Um, some absolutely great matchups there. And it went down to the wire. It was uh, after the siren. And also where we haven't mentioned this pot, I don't think Sean McMahon is another guy at 7 for Suntory. Yeah. He's directly up against Hooper. Another guy we'd love to have back in Australian rugby. Another guy that maybe the Waratahs could use. Um, But yeah, money talks with that one. The amount of of money these guys are getting paid up in Japan. And possibly this could be the the same situation in the US MLR going forward if, if they do get really strong private backing there that these salaries are hard to compete with in Australia and players are going to go overseas earlier and collect um, before the age of 25, as Sean McMahon kind of did. And, mm. you know, you can't really blame them for that. But 
yeah, it's just really interesting to see how that changes the rugby landscape. And I think the top league is going to get stronger and stronger uh, with the coverage of these games. It's just great to watch, to be honest. It's entertaining rugby. Australian rugby really needs to find a way to partner maybe with the Japanese system and create more links because there's got to be some um, symbiotic relationships where players can do their sabbaticals, you know, feature for these Japanese sides uh, for a season or two seasons or as an off season. And, you know, you can secure those players in, in partnership with Australian clubs. And, you know, there's probably, you know, pick the five best Japanese clubs that have a lot of money and have a lot of profile and try and make connections with the five Australian clubs now before someone else does. And, you know, do these, it's, it's like a, it's like an exchange, exchange program. Stuff, yeah. Yeah. Like you can bring Japanese players down to super rugby for some experience and yeah. you guarantee them a certain amount of time um, in the season. And, and equally you can release Australian players, to Japanese teams, but have a connection to them to get them back. Like there's got to be something there. I'm sure someone in the, in the rugby management community is smart enough to figure this out. In New Zealand, I can't remember if it was the Canes or the Crusaders. I think it's Crusaders. One of the, yeah. Yeah. This is when we talked about it last yeah. time. Might have been a and year or so ago. I think the Canes formed a relationship with the Harlequins as well um, over in the UK. So there was a few sort of things, but that's that is exactly what the Waratah should be looking at doing right now. Like that would Get up be Suntory. Absolutely, yeah. like do that. And that's an that's an absolute game changer if you can bring that sort of idea into the Australian market. That completely transforms um, your look at twenty twenty one. But can the Waratahs? Uh, as a body show that much ingenuity and and you know, take that risk like i'd love them to but they don't feel like the sort of club that's savvy enough to do that without some, just, some new fresh people like they they need to get some of the old wood out and and try something new because their current system is just a the spiral. wallabies i have confidence in the wallabies management their systems in place the talent of you know management staff they are with scott johnson rennie's coming obviously and hamish if the wallabies can do that yeah hamish mclennan i think the waratahs should have similar links to a lot of these guys and be able to bring in that sort of high level talent in the management ranks to be running the organization correctly and yeah it might take a few years to turn it all around but something needs to be done now because obviously Rob Penny isn't to blame for all of this. It, it started a long time ago, as we've heard. Yeah. So, yeah, it just needs change needs to be made and quickly. We're, we're talking back about the Waratahs again. Sorry, that was my fault. I brought us back. Um, the MLR continues to roll on. Uh, obviously, we got to talk about um, our teams, and it's the LA Giltinis um, took down Toby Seattle Seawolves fifty-seven to twenty-six. The reigning champions taken down by. Gitto and his men and two dads. Um, They're going to win it. Nola Gold took down um, New York Rugby Leo all over it, 51 to 28. My Toronto Arrows slumped to two successive defeats, 39 to 24 from Utah. Oh, geez. Uh, I don't know what's happening to, to me and Toby, but the Giltinis are, sh- are sure looking good. I love the Giltinis. I love their jersey. Have you seen that black jersey? It's fire. Love yeah, it. it's, it's I think good. they're doing good it's, things. It's playing at a great money. stadium. And um, look, I Obviously. think they've got to be the early pick to, to win this competition. They're looking great. Put some money on them. I think it will have to. 
Um, thanks again for tuning in, guys. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about um, some of these developments next week, maybe get a bit more into the Lions predictions as well. Make sure you're tuning into all the rugby this weekend. Uh, there's going to be some absolutely um, killer games as well. And if you get time, get into some top league and major league rugby. Um, you, can, you can fill up your whole Easter weekend with rugby this weekend. That's the benefit. Um, and let, let's just say that there's no better way to spend Easter uh, munching on some chocolate eggs and watching some rugby. Keep an eye on all our social media accounts. Have a good Easter. Keep on running. Run.